Welcome to IT Visionaries, created by The Mission, your number one source for accelerated learning. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Ian chats with Earl Newsom, Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Praxair. Earl shares how he got his start into IT, the lessons he learned from the military, and his seven habits for effective IT leadership. We hope you enjoy the episode. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. The Lightning Platform is a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone is empowered to build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. Today, we are joined by Earl Newsom. What's going on? Oh, things are going well. What's up? You know, it's a uh, wonderful, wonderful day here in, uh, in California. Our fires have subsided. How are things out in brisk Connecticut? Well, things are brisk. Yeah, we've had the weather come through. You know, we know things are hitting Chicago, but we're brisk here and cool, but we're expecting more weather as usual. It's funny, everybody talks about the weather, but nobody seems to do anything about it. I know, right? You know, we're excited to talk to you today. Obviously, you've, you've had a long career in IT. You've done a bunch of different things with, you know, on the consulting side, on, you know, the business side. And we kind of share a history here. We're both West Point graduates, which, which is always kind of fun. And in the pre-interview, we were talking about some of our, uh, our West Point roots. But to start off, kind of share some information about your roles and responsibilities and the scope of your work as a VP and CIO at Praxair? Sure. So Praxair is about a $12 billion uh, manufacturer of industrial gas products. I mean, basically the way I describe our company is we bring the periodic table to life, both on the inert and active gases side, and we supply those raw materials in liquid form to our customers to be used in their manufacturing process. My role as vice president and CIO for the organization is to run our global IT function. We have a global function and a regional IT function, about 500 IT uh, employees that are servicing our business. And I've got the responsibility for overseeing the strategy, the architecture, the execution, the technology, and all things in between about the delivery of IT services to Prexair. And so how did you kind of get into IT? You know, obviously, for those who don't know, who are listening, you know, you're a signal officer in the Army, which is has network operations and is kind of the civilian or the military side of IT. But how did you kind of get into uh, IT after you got out of the military? The way I described my interest in IT actually began when I was a little kid. So I think I was five years old. I was playing with, you know, erector sets and those who were younger may not remember that on those that listened to this, but we had erector sets where you could build things out of, uh, you know, little pieces of metal. Heath kits and uh, Archer 301 kits that we used to get from Radio Shack and Radio Shack's now defunct, but we used to be able to go there and get these these kits and you could do 301 little electronic kind of programs and projects on each of these erector sets or in these Archer 301 kits. And so I began very early, you know, kind of playing with, in those early days, you know, motors, electricity and and little assembly things for building things like, you know, there was like a, an organ, electronic organ, those kinds of things, or electronic light shows, et cetera. And those are how I got started. Even had a, a TRS-80, which is a 
the old version of the, we call the trash AD, the older version of the computers and built a, the Heathkit computer. So I started very early in life. And so I've been really in computers my whole life. So at West Point, I took computer science. I did electronics in high school. And ultimately, the reason, reason why I chose the Signal Corps was because that's where computers were at in the military. And then ultimately, after that, they just took up at corporate America. So when you think about my career in three distinct tracks, I, I you know, 10 plus years in the military, including West Point, uh, 10 plus years in consulting. So I went from Anderson Consulting to being a partner in Deloitte. And then ultimately, my last, you know, 10 plus years have been in corporate America, multiple industries, really all doing IT. How did you kind of blend the consulting world and the operator world? Because I think that that's something that, you know, for IT leaders sometimes can be tough, where going from consulting to operator, operator to consulting can kind of be a tough transition because you're kind of used to working one way. Did you find that at all? I think I, I looked at all my transitions. If you look at those three transitions, there's something I got from each one of them. So from the military, you know, I, I learned a lot about taking care of people. We call it, you know, I always call it taking care of soldiers. Um, yep. And it's really just about ensuring that your soldiers are equipped trained and practiced effectively. So I take those same three things into, you know, making sure that consultants I operate with where I had the same, had the right equipment, they were trained and practiced effectively. I take that into my civilian career in terms of corporate America, take that same tenant. Two other tenants I took from the military is one's about strategic leadership or what I call 360 degree leadership. And that's about knowing strategically which hill to take tactically, knowing how to take that hill safely and technically rolling up your sleeve and helping along the way. And so I, when I think about the military and what it taught me in that 360-degree leadership, because, you know, we bring our soldiers back from the battlefield alive or, you know, in the best shape possible if we ensure those three things are done well. Same thing with consultants when we deploy them on projects and the same thing with employees when we leverage them and, and work with them to get our, what needs to be done inside our businesses. And so that's taking care of soldiers and employees. That's about 360 degree leadership, again, across all of those domains. And I also think, you know, the last thing about the military that I learned in that first 10 years was about making sure that, you know, people want to be all that they can be. And, you know, using that commercial as something that we use to kind of really empower folks within the military. We can do the same thing with consultants and the same thing with employees. And so, what I found is that the transition, that if you take those things which are transferable across all of those domains, you can find yourself to be pretty effective. You know, as I went through consulting, you learned a lot about technology and the application of technology to solve business problems. You learned to have a consulting mindset. And you learned about in the consulting business of all you have to sell is a billable hour. You know, knowledge is your capital, people are your resource. And so you realize that people are essential in the consulting business and growing the business and growing the people. You learn about the application of business, technology to solve business problems, and you ultimately learn about this notion of the consulting mindset, which is a problem-solving approach to how do you think about how to solve business problems. And so taking all those skills into corporate America, quite easy. What I find is I build upon each of my experiences and have continued to add to my toolkit uh, about those things, which I now bring into corporate America to help us meet our company objectives. So transferring skills is, is something that as you're a military guy, you know, <laughs> you have to do that from branch to branch, from deployment to deployment, and you learn how to build upon what you've had in the past. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting that your background has spanned so many different sectors. And then now at Praxair, 
you're working with all sorts of different, you know, products and services and technologies within Praxair. So, you know, that kind of depth of career, we always say at the mission, you know, that your book is being written every single day and it's not written until the very end, right? And it seems like kind of your career as an IT leader, each different kind of challenge that you took on was so different from the first. Like, you know, going to somewhere like SD Lauder, which is, seems like it's a completely different thing, but like how different were your experiences from like a product standpoint? Um, I think that's a great quote. That I think you, you do write your book one chapter at a time and one page at a time, quite frankly. And you, if you build upon the past, you can, you know, you can, in fact, determine what your future is. And so I think that that's just essential to kind of how life goes. And so when I think about, you know, Estee Lauder and, and you know, when I first got into corporate America, you know, my first entry in was at, at Bound in the financial print industry. So learning about financial print and, and how filing is done from the SEC, et cetera. So we did a lot of work around financial printing, which included supporting for major M&As, support for printed statements. You know, all these things are pretty much gone now. But the, those are, you know, you learned a lot of lessons about, you know, how to run IT, how to run a data center, how to connect with customers, how to understand the importance of execution, how to manage expectations. You know, all those are transferable skills that I took on to Estee Lauder. So in Estee Lauder, it's Love the fashion industry, so I learned a lot about the fashion industry and how the fashion industry operates on a global basis. Because we have, you know, Estee Lauder is a collection of global brands that work together to really focus on whether it's hair care, skin care, cosmetics, or you know, hair care, those things which are focused on the beauty industry. And it's just a fantastic thing to get that kind of experience working in the retail market, understand how retail works, how technology can enable retail sales, how to interact on an e-commerce platform with your customers who are working to buy and replenish your products online. So you learn about the online business, you learn about the retail business, you learn a little bit more about manufacturing and a CPG business. And so translating that into the industrial sector where I went next is is kind of working with TE connectivity and the connector business, uh, understanding about the power of connectors, which are around high tech, industrial kind of business. Again, a global organization with manufacturing, working with B2B. So, you know, from a B2C primary business to a B2B business, understanding how everyone is your customer, both internally and externally, and, and how a, a customer who's a supplier uh, or a customer who is a, a retailer or a customer who's an, uh, who's an OEM, you realize how to work with each of those customers and their unique needs. And it's all about customer experience, customer expectation, project execution, understanding how technology can play a difference in that marketplace. And then ultimately moving there into an industrial gas business, which is another industrial customer that has more localized business where we need to focus on how technology helps us run our operations better, how to ensure that our supply chains are as efficient as they can be, how to ensure our business processes operate at peak efficiency, and ultimately how to make sure that our customers are connecting us or connected to us in useful and unique ways. So I think you know, across the board, you go from industry to industry, but technology as an enabler to help solve business problems, to help accelerate business outcomes, and to help transform businesses can be applied universally. That's great. You know, and 
you have written about this idea of the seven habits of an effective IT leader. And I'd love to just kind of go through some of those with you. You already talked about 360 degree leadership and I'll just kind of go through them and and you can kind of give a few comments on each, but you talk about being triple deep. What is that? I think that's the most important one is that a triple deep IT professional has both business expertise, knows which business we're in, how we make money, has industry expertise, knowing where the industry's going and how does this competitor landscape comport and what is this competitor doing, then has technical expertise, which really focuses on how technology can help accelerate business outcomes. And so, you know, the higher up you want to mature as an IT executive, you need to know how your business makes money. You know how your industry and how you compete in that industry and where that industry is going and how technology is impacting that industry and then understanding what the technology is available to you. That's about being triple D. It's so common sense, but you need to know, or it seems like it's common sense, but you need to know how your business makes money. And I love that. I mean, it's just such a simple way of putting it, but we always talk about the business and knowing the business and partnering with the business, but it, it comes back to the fact that your CEO needs to figure out you know, the ways that you can improve revenue. And if you as an IT leader aren't doing that, then you just can't be successful. I mean, I would add on to that. I mean, one of the things we, we do, and I've done this in multiple companies, that we've created a process, which I call the business passport. And I say, you have to go get your business passport step as an IT professional. And what that means is you have to go out there and experience the business at the edge of the business. You can't do it, you know, you, you and I are military, that kind of stuff. You can't do it from the bivouac area to understand how a scout operates. You yes. got to paint your face green and go get with that scout. So what I say to our folks is you need to go get your business passport step. So go take a ride with a salesperson, go visit a plant and walk the manufacturing floor, go talk to a salesperson, go to accounting and see how they utilize our systems. Cause you, until you go, see how they utilize systems. Then you don't understand when they tell you, you know, 10 seconds is unbearable because 10 seconds standing there when you're trying to close a deal with a customer at the counter can seem like an hour. And then if if you have 40 customers in line and each transaction takes 10 additional seconds, you're going to lose customers at the counter. You know, it's funny. I mean, like Jeff Bezos, you know, we interviewed uh, on a different podcast, one of the folks that was one of his early VPs of marketing. And she said that he would just, like in 1999, just obsess about getting it to one click. Like every single thing was like removing barriers for the customer, removing barriers to the customer. Like we need to be, it needs to be one click. It needs to be one click by like all of that sort of stuff. I love that idea of the business passport and making sure that your IT professionals are doing ride-alongs. As so well. the consultant mindset, I mean, th- this one just talks about, you know, how do you apply methodologies and frameworks to solve business problems? And so you need to have a, a set of frameworks and methodologies in your toolkit to know, you know how to break a problem down, whether it's, you know, I just recently read kind of getting to yes and the, the yes and kind of concept and, you know, divergent thinking to convergent thinking, using business information to kind of think about how to solve business problems. I think that's a great model to have in your toolkit and you should apply it where you need to, you know, agile is another way to do it. Fishbone, you know, you name it. So we need to have these kind of questioning techniques. We need to have these thinking techniques in our toolkit so that when we're called to the table, we have a strategy, we can get on the whiteboard and start walking through this technique to help people come to the fruit that is really, they already know. You just have to help them discover it. 
And it seems like you and your career have brought a consultative mindset, like not only do you have one, but to your team. Like, how are you doing that? Part of it is getting people exposed to these kind of thinking technologies. And so exposure, you know, we, we talk about exposure, education, enhancement kinds of things to think about how do we leverage, the, how do we get these tools deployed to our businesses, or to our consultants, you know, our internal consultants. And we use the same techniques that I learned in my consulting career about training, exposure, practicing. That's all about taking care of soldiers, taking care of those employees, and ensuring that they're equipped with the right tool sets, they're trained on the use of those tool sets, they get to leverage those tool sets and practice areas so, so it's safe so they can learn. Because I don't think about, you know, we call, people talk about smart failures. Really what it is, we need to do more learning, right? And so yeah. let's turn the word failure into learnings. And then everything we should do, it should be about learning. And so having that consulting mindset helps us to really create that learning organization. Okay, so the fourth, fourth habit of an effective IT leader here, you said disruptor, be a disruptor. I love this concept and, you know, you either be the disruptor or be disrupted, right? You know, so that's really kind of the way that it works, right? I mean, disruption is happening no matter where you are in every industry. Somebody's thinking about how to eat your lunch, right? So if somebody's thinking about it, you might as well be thinking about it. And so be bold and outthink your competition. So leveraging even that book, how to outthink your competition and outthinking what outthinking is, you know, how to really consider ways in what you can be disruptive and be the first to test those ways and then where you think those ways can be effective in your business you should adopt them so i think from an it perspective we're sometimes accused of being the you know the weird nerdy type so let's embrace that and go ahead and be the appropriate disruptor in our business and, and really think about the ways that our business can be disrupted that's why you have to be triple deep because if you're not triple deep you, you can't really be a disruptor because then people will see you on the third rig of saturn and ask what planet are you on and then you yeah. won't hurt <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think it's funny, like, the world has kind of belonged to the weird nerdy types for a long time. If you look at who has created the exponential kind of changes in the world, you know, like, I don't think, you know, Isaac Newton or Ben Franklin or any of those people or, you know, the technologists of today, the Larry and Sergey is like, it's just interesting that the people who are creating the things that we use every day are those technologies, like, we're thinking different. How do you drive innovation internally with your team? Like, are you all doing hackathons or citizen development or kind of how are you building, building that muscle within the org? I think that's a, a, another great question. So for me, innovation is really about allowing it to occur in the open. There's a lot of places where innovation is best done in secret. Once you tell people you're being innovative, then the forces of governance come in and shut it all down right and say well you know either you, you you can't do that that won't work etc so you got to give people a safe zone to be creative and you know i you know i love the google 70 20 10 model you know not everybody can accomplish something like that but give people an opportunity a, a space to be creative and so whether it's a hackathon whether it is citizen development whether it is embracing shadow it and not pushing it into the nether sphere so i do a lot of walking around, you know, this kind of MBW management by walking around and then encouraging wherever I find it, creativity. And so we used to do things which we called iJams, which are innovation jams, where we say, okay, here's a series of problems. We're going to take this day and we're going to, you know, put people into a room and for eight hours, you guys get to determine whatever it is you want to do. So we have this jam. We've heard these problems from our customers. Now 
let's spend eight hours using these thinking techniques to come up with some creative ways to uh, solve this problem. And then we'll fund out of that jam several activities that can lead that particular problem to be solved. I've done that. We've done things around calling them explorer programs. So you create explorers across IT and you say, go around, take a picture of something that you see can be improved, send that picture in with the description of how it can be improved. And then we'll go through these pictures and see which of these things can we go adopt. So turn your employees into explorers so they can go and freedom to explore about things they think they can improve upon and just take a simple picture like Instagram, you know, you call it Insta Improve or whatever. So leverage that kind of thinking. Find different ways to get your people involved in innovation activities, you know, hackathons, sending them to thinking environments, whether that's some symposium or, you know, or some local kind of think tank where people are having these kind of dialogues and you can start to get their creative juices going and then manage that as well and have that as an infuse into your, your innovative thinking. The most important thing about all this is you got to put this in the right balance in context with your company. We talk about this exploit versus explore kind of model. You know, some of your innovation can be exploration where you're looking at brand new things, you're trying to topple the world, but then some percentage of it needs to be exploitation by really focusing on things that we already do well and around continuous improvement and those things. And so exploiting are already solid competitive advantage. And so you depending on what industry you're in, you can have that as a you know 90% exploitation, 10% exploration, or vice versa, but match that to your corporate innovation agenda and ambition, and then make sure your IT is aligned up with that so that you're in lockstep with what their appetite is for exploration versus exploitation, and then fire into your organization to ensure that you're doing those things to improve, either I'm exploiting something that we're already doing, trying to do continuous improvement, whether it's around cost, whether it's around process improvement, whether it's around product improvement, or is it around exploration, looking for new ways to do things even better or implementing new business ideas or business models. That's the way to think about it. And that's the way to get everybody involved. I love that. And I love the posting photos because it's so easy and everyone has some type of smartphone now that they could easily just, you know, take a photo and throw it in the cloud and whatever it is that you're doing that. I, I really love that idea. And I think that kind of these next two habits are kind of go hand in hand, which is challenge the business functions way of thinking and then educate the business business function when necessary. So tell me how you have gone about these two things, because I think that sometimes like you just were saying, you're walking a little bit of a fine line. You need to obviously understand where the business is coming from. You need to understand where they make money, but also talk to me about how you've challenged the business and kind of remain that skeptic attitude while educating the business functions when necessary. I think I could talk about these uh, and they are related, but then I think they're also slightly different. So the, the notion here about being a professional skeptic, I think you have to challenge, and you should be a professional skeptic as an IT. I think that's where the critical skills that we need to have is to be able to tell the difference between architecture and architecture. You know, if the business is getting enthralled by something that's, you know, we're going to go down this path and it's AI or whatever it is, and that you have to be very careful of. And so be the skeptic, make sure that the technology that they're looking at is actual architecture and that it has gone through its paces, is ready to be applied. And so as we look into the marketplace, there's lots of product samples out there where they may be a little bit before their time. The fundamentals are good, 
but the timing is not quite there yet. So you need to be the professional skeptic to make sure that we're doing the proper application of this technology to solve this business problem. And so you need to be have that discerning eye and that discerning mind to tell the difference between what's architecture and out there just, we don't, it's a, it's a promise, but without a delivery mechanism and what's actual architecture that's proven at your level of acceptance and risk tolerance to your business to go implement. <laughs> I love architecture versus architecture. That's so good. So that's, a, you know, that, that's about challenging and then making sure that you're being that professional skeptic and, and challenging effectively. And that could be around the implementation of technology. It may be about the pursuit of, a, of an idea that leverages technology, something that was in your wheelhouse for you to have that ability to be that skeptic. You know, even Ray Dalio talks about it, you know, a believability rating. So how believable are you? And you should be believable in your domain of expertise to appropriately challenge the business about anything that they're trying to do. The education side of this, I think, is equally as important. And that's, I think that's also a lot of the time when they hire us as IT professionals, they really want to be educated. I've heard many of my business customers say, come in and tell us how we can do these things. I mean, we need you to come in. We don't need you just to wait for us to have a phone call around some service disruption or some project that we as desperately needed your help. We'd rather have you come in and, and in the forefront and just kind of educate us about the art of the possible. And so I think that that's part of our responsibility as a really effective IT leader is to be able to have that relationship with the business function and educate them on the art of the possible for where technology can be leveraged. That's so good. Gosh, I love that. Okay, so let's get into the, to the final one, number seven here, being both an advocate and a tough customer. Yeah, this I think is the most important thing. This is about, in the IoT space, improving our ability to sense. And so we're adding sensors to cars, we're adding sensors to thermostats, we're adding them to bicycles and to refrigerators, right? I think our people need to be sensors as well. And so this is about being a people sensor and so that you can be both an advocate and a tough customer for your IT organization. You need to be an advocate for your IT organization because you need to be out there talking about the things that your IT organization can do to help accelerate business outcomes and to help transform businesses the way that they want to be transformed. So selling your capabilities. So you need to be that salesperson to be able to effectively translate value and capabilities from your IT organization into your business. That's your advocacy role, but you also need to be a tough customer internally. So you need to be representing your customers within IT and then being that sensor to say, hey, this is not working well. And don't wait for your customers to tell you that that's not the best service that I provided, is that you have your finger on the pulse and you know that your service wasn't what it needed to be. So you be that tough customer back into your organization and demand excellence. And that's, I think that's what being a tough customer is. And that means you have an advocacy role for your organization, and then you have a, a toughness role to ensure that your services are provided at the absolute best value. Would you buy the service that you're providing? If you can't answer yes to that question, then you need to go back and improve your service delivery. And so I think you have both that role to be a salesperson and to be a tough customer. And sometimes I wish some of the salespeople who are selling us some of our IT products were, had this in mind as well, that they sold as hard as that they were as tough on their internal delivery mechanism. I think we as IT professionals owe that to our customers, our internal business customers and our external customers to ensure that we are advocating for the right things and we're ensuring that those things are delivered the right way. 
Switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about kind of the role of the CIO and what you call the path to a seat at the table. This is something that I think has been changing a lot. We've talked to a lot of different CIOs in the podcast about how IT is changing, how the role of the CIO is changing. Can you share kind of how you feel about that and and also touch on this idea of, of the path to the seat at the table? Sure. I think a lot of times we feel that we want to get invited to the table, but we haven't earned it, right? And so this is about earning the right to the seat at the table. So it starts with credibility, then you build on credibility with accountability, and then you know, ultimately you've earned the right to have leadership. And so your credibility is about you're really doing what you said you could do and ensuring that what you say you can do, you actually can do. Accountability is about saying when you can get it done <laughs> and then delivering according to when you say you can get it done. And then ultimately, you can talk about what you can do and then having that added to the table that gets you to the seat of the table. So again, it all starts with being credible and say, hey, I'm believable. What I say I can do, I actually can do. Yeah, we've had challenges, but it ultimately gets done to the level of satisfaction that you need. Accountable is now I'm raising the bar a bit and I'm saying... Not only can I get it done, but I'm going to get it done by this specific date or, you know, managing expectations along the way. So I make sure that I'm accountable for the results that are delivered. And then you've earned the right to sit at the table and talk about what you can do. And so I think that's that's the path to the seat of the table. It's about earning it. And that's the way I see IT organizations have to do. And we've got to be around what I, what I call myth busting. Typically, the myths of IT are you cost twice as much, you take twice as long, and you deliver half what I want. It is not our job to perpetuate that myth. We should be, I call on every IT professional to be a myth buster and find ways to absolutely deliver what what the customer wants, when they want it, with the capabilities that were required for what they asked for, and give them a happy surprise around what we can do. That's leadership to me. And when you bust those myths, if you go around busting those myths, that's the way to deliver credibility, accountability, and leadership. You know, I appreciate your time so far. This is great. I know our listeners will will love this as well. Let's get into our, our lightning round questions. The lightning round is brought to you by our friends at Salesforce and the lightning platform. Fast and easy questions in the lightning round, just like the lightning platform by Salesforce. So are you ready? Sure. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Outlook. <laughs> Outlook is the most fun. <laughs> it works. I mean, Outlook, I mean, I discover new things every day. It's, a, you know, the focus thing works. Me being able to search for things work. I mean, it's a fun app. It just works. <laughs> That's great. Favorite time-saving tool? I guess to me, it's about getting things done. So it's a, a list of things. Having a list and working the list. Favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in assistive intelligence versus artificial intelligence. So I don't, you know, I don't necessarily think about artificial intelligence, but if you think about the best use of assistive intelligence, I think asking Siri what the NFL scores are and getting that immediately and using Siri to actually set my alarm clock, fantastic. I love it. And you were an athlete, right? What did you play? I played football, football and track. Oh, I did. Were you on the army team? Yes, I was on the Army team. I oh, man. We, two years and four years of track, so in the hammer. Oh, love it. My roommate at West Point was an academic All-American through Jav, so I spent a lot of time at the field house. Oh, yep, yep. <laughs> that was where I spent my time in the field house, and, in the field, throwing the hammer, yep. Yeah. Yeah, indoors and outdoors. 
my other roommate was a uh, Army football player, so a lot of love for our team. And they're doing great this year, best season. Yes, they are. Hey, 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 go Army, beat Navy. Yeah, beat Navy. That's right. All the rest of our, our listeners, for those of you that are Army Signal Corps folks, which I know you're out there, you're probably cheering. All right, next up, do you have a favorite piece of content, whether that's like a show or a podcast or a book that you've read or, or listened to lately? So I'm doing, you know, books and book clubs now. I, I think I just recently finished reading uh, Ray Dalio's Principles. Fantastic yes. book. Highly recommended. So good. What about favorite one-day getaway in Connecticut where you live? One-day getaway in Connecticut? I don't know if there's such a thing, but <laughs> the, uh, I think my favorite one-day getaway is, is someplace warm with a golf course. What technology are you most excited about for the future? I am really excited about AR. I think AR has the ability to transform the way that we interact with computers. And, and AR can bring, can, can be an amazing thing to be. I'm a big believer in diversity and inclusion. And I think AR is a way for us, and technology can kind of break down these walls that separate us. And AR can bring us together in some of the most unique ways. It can enable people from all areas of diversity to come together to be included in the journey that we need to go on to go find the cures to everything that's impacting us you know, today. And so to me, it's around diversity, inclusion, and collaboration is where the value comes from. Because diversity just is, we are all by nature diverse. Inclusion is the act of inviting that diversity to the table. And then collaboration is about leveraging that diversity to create new and unique outcomes to help shape the future of the, of the world. And I think that AR can help accelerate that. I totally agree. And it's something that, you know, we're going to have Juan Perez, CAO UPS that we, we had on earlier. We're going to have him come back and talk about diversity and inclusion and just how critical it is for the future of technology that we, we do a better job of this. But it's something that to have the best ideas you need to have a diversity of thought. And I think that so often people forget that, for example, you know, we have about half of our team here at the mission is military folks, but military or military brats and all sorts of different stuff like that. But if we were to fill our entire team with military folks, you know, that probably wouldn't be the best diversity of thought either, even though we have a diversity of, of experience. But I think that just so often people forget that those type of experiences drive innovation. Like that type of, you know, being able to see the world in a different way is what drives the best technology and, and creation. Absolutely. There's a, there's a principle, I don't know who said this, but it's called hug your aliens. Again, that's about inclusion. So, and I inject into IT, I think we're all weird, right? If, if they're expecting us to be weird, let's embrace that weirdness and go out there and do what people think is weird and really embrace all of our aliens bring them all into the table and say, okay, let's go tackle this problem and see what we can come up with. That's what a hackathon's all about. That's what you just described, this notion of uh, uh, inclusion, even at the mission. That's how we solve these difficult problems. Uh, otherwise, the same thing is going get, to get us the same results. It's going to be this differentiated thinking that we bring together that gives us the new courageous thinking. So I say embrace our weirdness and let's go hug all our aliens. Totally agree. Final question. What's your best advice for a first-time CIO? My best advice is I've got a, a couple rules that you should listen to. For a first-time CIO, uh, I'll give you a couple of these. Understand the first law of holes, which is if you're in one, stop digging. 
right? <laughs> <laughs> follow rule zero, which is regardless of all the other rules, don't do anything foolish. And lastly, follow success. So, you know, let's not worry about finding out what the other guy did and made him unsuccessful. Let's find out what people are doing to be successful and then follow that success. I love it. Earl, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. We really appreciate your time. And, you know, hopefully we have you back soon because there's a whole host of other things you've written about and talked about that we'd love to share with our audience. Thank you very much. I hope you have a great and fun, wonderful time out there in California. I am glad that the, the fires have subsided and look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, beat Navy. Uh, beat them all day. <laughs> Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce, a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone can build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps.